0: All right. We want to welcome all of our listeners and viewers to the 34th episode of Minority Report with Eric and Corral. Each episode, we talk with leaders in media and business. And today joining us is Don Christian, who is the belonging IND strategist and associate director of learning for AstraZeneca. Let's jump in and get to know Don. How are you doing? Welcome.
1: Hi, I'm doing well. Great to be here with both of you.
0: Excellent. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about for the listeners that don't know you, what you're doing at AstraZeneca and what's keeping you busy during the day?
1: Absolutely. So at AstraZeneca, I am leading belonging D strategy for the global organization, which really is focused at adopting and adapting and evolving what our platforms are for inclusion and diversity and the employee experience at
0: AstraZeneca. Very cool. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you were born, and where you were raised.
1: Absolutely. I am. I am from Southern California. If you ever ask me that question, I am from Southern California, but there's a technicality. I was born in Springfield, <laughs> Illinois. I am a military child. My father was in the Air Force, but um, I grew up mainly in Southern California. I'm a diehard California sports fan. So it'll be a Lakers dynasty for me forever. And I will always, no matter where they go, be a Raiders fan all day, every day.
0: (laughs) How about your family? Give us a sense of your your culture and identity and your family.
1: Yeah, I'm the youngest of six in my immediate family. I'm the youngest of six. My father has three boys and three girls. And then I just recently learned that I have an older sister and became the youngest of seven this year. My mother, who uh, is deceased, she uh, she passed with lupus, had an older daughter, which I have come to know this year. And it's been a phenomenal addition to our family. I've known of her, but we've been reunited in this past year. So all of those Amazing. 23andMe users, and those kind of folks, that you can really discover um, some, great, some great family that way. Wow.
2: Very nice, and and Dawn, I'm clear. Lakers, not the Clippers.
1: Lakers all day. I'm from LA. So anyone who says that they are from Southern California and is still is a Clippers fan must be under the age of 25. Otherwise, you're suspect. I don't know if I can call you a home. I don't know if I can call you home, people you No. Know.
2: I just I I knew that would fire you up, so I, I, <laughs> I
3: love it. I love it.
2: <laughs> so um, give give the audience a a sense of your career path. Obviously, you're passionate about diversity and inclusion, and we're we're certainly going to get into that. But how did you get to what What's your journey been like in terms of getting to the role that you're in today?
1: Absolutely, and that's a great question. So for me, I started out in a staffing and HR role straight out of college I went to Berkeley undergrad and I started out in the biotech pharma industry at Genentech and was in a staffing position supporting MBA recruitment and college programs within that role I was my manager is a huge diversity advocate and champion she actually leads diversity and inclusion at Lyft now and at the time this was part of her platform to bring to Genentech into the biotech industry, Monica Poindexter. love to give people's names um, with the context of who gave me mentorship and sponsorship throughout my career. But Monica Poindexter really was influential in bringing that to Genentech and made that part of my platform as an MBA recruiter. So it was part of my job, but it also became part of what I felt was my accountability, as you can see, And I I know people won't make any assumptions, but as you can see, my representation as a woman, as a woman of color, and I am African American. um, And at the time, very young to be in that position. I was like 21 years old. And this was before diversity was really a position at most companies. We were crafting what that meant for an organization. And when you build and when you're crafting and pioneering, I was privy to giving presentations to senior executive teams, to the CEO, which I was so green, I didn't realize what a big deal that was. <laughs> so I became very comfortable with the language and having these conversations with leadership teams very early in my career. I took that on throughout my career. If anyone were to look me up on LinkedIn, you'll see I have had various roles in operations and nonprofit and in biotech. In each one of my roles, I implemented and held true to inclusion and diversity practices and policies to the point where I was called out or pointed out to be of counsel and advice to the C-suite or to the executive leadership teams. So I've made that part of who I am and part of what makes sense for me, no matter what the function is as a marketer or as an operations lead or what have you, it's part of what we all need to accept and be a part of in order for it to be successful as a practice and a policy. So I've made it functionally part of my job.
2: Gotcha. You mentioned that you really got into diversity and inclusion before it was sort of really big in terms of kind of what it is today, right? And and I think in, in some respects, right, you're probably proud to see that diversity and inclusion is a hot topic, right? But on the, on the other end of that, it could just be used as a way of sort of making money, if you will, and not be genuine. So just curious to get your, your thoughts on sort of how diversity and inclusion has just grown into a huge uh, subject over the years.
1: Yes, I think so. You've hit on a lot of hot buttons, and I'm just going to let <laughs> you all know I shoot straight from the hip, right? So these comments and things that I'm coming with are, are comments of Don Christian, and are related to my career as a professional so we'll just take it like that i'm going to give you that preface so diversity 21 years ago um, when i was in the position at the start of my career 20 something years ago was a buzzword yeah that could mean anything from representation ethnic representation gender representation it was kind of synonymous with those two things, but it meant, oh, we're we're going to make sure that people know that we know that people are different.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We're starting to see an evolution where there's more accountability in the lexicon, in the narrative, in the words, and then employees, as they've become more experienced and educated and been able to speak up and voice what their expectations of their experience as an employee is, They've been able to hold organizations accountable for getting meaning behind when you say diversity, buzzword, what do you mean? Uh And you've seen companies, inclusive of some of the ones that I've worked at, go with diversity of thought. Well, how does diversity of thought tie to representation? If you do not have representation, can you truly have diversity of thought? Great point. We're starting to see these types of shared accountability practices happening where I'm holding the employee or the marginalized person accountable for posing the question. You don't always have to be pissed up going in. If that's not your personality, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But to, in order for people to be aware of what's going on, a question needs to be posed, a hand needs to be raised, something needs to be said in order to address what the experience is and for the organization you've heard this evolution of one of the things that I I dislike which is the business case for diversity yeah now I get it we're a capitalist society we're in business for profits to grow to you know to produce and have customers and consumers I get that right I mean yeah I get it right Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about the experience of your employees and those that you service in your product service, this is about their experience, a human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, this is about psychological safety. This is about recognizing who's really giving you your profit. Right. Who Who is this? And there's person and personality behind that, that I think companies are starting to evolve towards this conversation of more than about the business case and more about the other side of the business, not about the products and things that you're selling, but what are your attrition rates?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: What are your hiring rates? What does your representation in your organization say about what you articulate when you say that you support diversity? And you're getting called out on these things because we have social media. We have people that are able to have platforms where they can speak and it doesn't necessarily have to be held in a boardroom, stand alone, as a a marginalized person Mm
3: -hmm. in a
1: conversation, in a conference room somewhere. They can then go somewhere else and talk about it, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or IG or wherever. So companies are starting to evolve to see that there's more to it than the business case and that it's about the experience.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. And my next question, I the answer to the first part of my question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. As an African-American woman, have you ever been personally discriminated against? And if so, how, how have you dealt with it?
1: Absolutely. I, I can't, I, and I'm, I'm not saying this, I, I'm not a victim. I am an empowered person who's had experiences, which is why I do the work that I do. I am marginalized and discriminated against on a daily basis to the point where it's part of my, you know, get up, brush your teeth, comb your hair, put on your clothes, get discriminated against, move on, rinse, repeat, do it again. And it's not because I accept it, it's because that's the world we live in, right? So when I think about when I have been aware of when I've been discriminated against has usually been in a microaggressive situation. I'll put myself in the position of when I was in sales in the Midwest, and I was floating around into different cities throughout the Midwest. So I had St. Louis, I had Ann Arbor, Michigan, I had Chicago, and I had a manager say to me, after giving me my territory, which was all county hospitals, jails, and for the most part, county hospitals and jails, and a few few elderly hospice type situations he says to me well you're used to this you're from LA hmm. you're used to going into these types of communities hmm. and I said I'm sorry what and he said but these are the kind of communities you're used to being in right and I said no oh, tell me more why you think of that and I said and he said well you're from LA I said correction I'm from South Pasadena, California." And he said, he said, Well, you know. And I said, No, I don't know. Tell me more. Yeah. And in my mind, I knew exactly what he was saying, but what I've learned as a practice is to ask the questions when questions are asked of you. Mm-hmm. You ask me, I'm used to this, right? No, why do you say that? Right? To get people to see what they're saying and to hold them accountable for their biases or what they're saying to you. And I knew at that point in time that I had been assigned the Chitlin circuit. I knew what was up. And for those of you who don't know what the Chitlin circuit is, ask your grandparents or your parents. Um, I'll give you a history assignment. I have, I'm a granddaughter of a historian, so I'll give you a history assignment to look that up. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being from these areas. What I am saying is that it's wrong to assume a socioeconomic background based off of what you think you see in front of you. And I say what I say about who I am and where I'm from with a lot of pride. My father grew up on the same land that we were slaves and then sharecroppers. Mm. My mother was born on Meharry at Meharry Medical, which is an HBCU. My grandfather taught at TSU, which is across the street. My mother went to Fisk. She was a freedom writer. There are cigarette burns on her neck for sitting at lunch counters. So I come from very different, you know, backgrounds all in one, but both very proud of the fact of the strides that either one of my parents made to allow me to say, no, I'm from South California, California, and no, I'm not used to prisons and Mm -hmm. inner cities and county hospitals. I've always had healthcare. I've always gone to, you know, private hospitals. I've always... Because it's not about shame of not having those things. It's about extending the narrative that people can look like something and represent more than what your narrow mindedness is allowing for them to represent. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, we're doing this obviously in sort of unprecedented mm-hmm. times, and we're all at home and we're having different experiences. Tell us about what it's like at home work life, mm-hmm. family. You know, as we're all trying to figure this stuff out, what's it what's it been like, you know, for you to to sort of manage all of this? Is there such thing as a work life balance and how, how are you doing with that right now?
1: I I love the question. I literally recall saying last week, I said, This is the oddest acclimation I think I've ever been through because every day I'm I'm acclimating to something else about this environment, right? About being home. Yep. So my husband is semi-retired. He was a a police officer here in D.C. And we have a two-year-old son who, you know, is obviously home. He's almost three. Who's home and I'm working full time. So there's nothing normal about our space, right? Um, But I think what we're evolving into, and I think we're probably, what, at least eight weeks into quarantine plus, is that if circle time is happening upstairs and my son is shouting out ABCs, Everybody's okay with that, right? Including <laughs> whoever I happen to be on the phone with, right? I have a new co-worker and this is what he's doing. But I think what it's done for us as a family is had us recognize that we are fortunate, that we do have a safe place to be. Yeah. That when I think about what this means for AstraZeneca, and I've had this conversation with Employee engagement with our organization is that there was an assumption that was made when we all went to working from home. And that assumption is that everyone had the full infrastructure, mm. the support, and the bandwidth to work from home, right? Not everybody has a semi retired husband that can be home with the two year old son and take him somewhere else while I am on an important conference call. Not everyone, even the assumption of us all having Wi Fi, is mm. an assumption. Right. I had tech in here three days when we first started doing this. They were here for three days trying to figure out the level of bandwidth to be able to now manage me working full time. My kid being on whatever devices they were on, my husband streaming whatever he's streaming. And there's a lot to say about the assumption that companies have made for us to carry on their business. And what has and has not been equitable about that. Is the conversation around yes, the expense behind that, but also the way that we've had to live or adjust our living spaces. You might have a roommate, you may be living in one room, who knows? But we're you're now sitting in my private space work. This is my house, right? This is a Barbie of Rosa Parks. This is, you know, my this is my home that you're in. Right. And that's not comfortable for everybody. So there were a lot of assumptions made about that, that I try to stay cognizant about and try to keep my team and my organization cognizant about as we move forward in this.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, earlier you mentioned mentors, and we're always fascinated with folks that either have mentors or heroes that sort of help them, and some have none. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about you and, and your experience with having folks either mentor you or, or maybe not.
1: Yes. So I will do Do you one better. I will talk about mentors. I will talk about allyship and I will talk about sponsors because I think they're all necessary and they all slightly do something different, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think a mentor is someone that you can go to and you can just vent and say, this is what's going on. This is where I am. Do you have any thoughts, right? They may or may not have an active role in moving the needle for you on that. That's when if you're looking for someone to come in and move the needle, that's your sponsorship. That's the person that's in a position of privilege or power that's going to say, I know Dawn wants to do X. So I'm going to speak up and drop her name in in the right conversations or place her to be able to do these things and be seen doing these things. And then an ally is someone who's an advocate about the issue. May not have the, the the power structure to really move the needle for you personally, but can speak about let 's say women and their advancement within the organization and they can verbally as a as a man or as you know whatever say that I recognize that this is a real thing. Hmm. I have been fortunate enough to find that role quite honestly in one one person at AstraZeneca and then some of those tenants in other people. So that one person was actually someone I introduced Carell to when we all thought we were going to be at South by Southwest is Ben Massey. He was the VP of sustainability at AstraZeneca, but very plainly called out that he saw that there's an issue with the advancement of people of color and specifically women of color within the organization and was willing to do all three of those roles, not only for me, but several women within the organization. That's rare that you'll find someone willing to go that deep with that power structure, (laughs) um, with all of those. But I, I say that to say that I think he's probably a great example of someone that's checked all of those boxes. But I find mentorship in parallel to other people in my role. I find allyship by Having these types of conversations and holding myself accountable to have them with people who think differently, who look differently and who have experienced different things so that I'm not making an assumption about what their vantage point is.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, what, what do you read or, or follow to stay informed? You know, what D&I resources are there out there?
1: Yeah. So the minority report, not not a shameless plug. I'm just going to say oh. you have some of the awesome. <laughs> you guys have great lineup. You guys have a great lineup. LinkedIn. I mean, I think LinkedIn is a great resource for just seeing all of the different platforms that people are supporting, vantage points. I think it's a great resource for digging in a little bit deeper. I think for me, I'm, I'm a book person. I like actual hard cover books. Mm-hmm. So I am probably one of the biggest fans of Minda Hart and the memo. Minda Hart wrote the memo and also does a lot of speaking and other platforms to inform on the advancement of black, um, not black, black and Latinx, people of color, mm-hmm. women of color in a corporate setting. And I have a pretty hefty network of practitioners that I continue to connect with. So I'm constantly looking at you know what new books are being released and um, and what people are writing, but I also think that staying on top of platforms like LinkedIn are also great resources.
2: Right, right. And so, what advice would you give to anyone that is either you know about to graduate college and and wants to get into DNI or Anyone that's really maybe either trying to make a career switch or just wants to sort of broaden their skills and their talents, what advice would you give them?
1: Fantastic question. First and foremost, celebrate yourself. 2020 is different. It is not going to be like any other year. So log on to the Obama's commencement, find some family, have your own commencement, order a cap and gown, celebrate yourself first and foremost congratulations to you for doing what you've done. It's not going unrecognized. That's first and foremost. Also, if you're serious about a career in IMD, one thing that I will make sure that I say to you is that this is real work. This is not a benevolent, nice to have. There's real education. There are real research and real work behind and and moving people and evolving people and organizations along a spectrum that they might not even recognize that they're in or the value of is hefty work. So you gotta have thick skin. As a practitioner, I am certified in IND. There are a couple of different ways you can go. Uh, I went to Cornell for my certification. Georgetown has a certification, but also a full master's in IND. Mm. Um, so you can. Go the educational route, or you can go like the association route, like SHRM or something like that to get an accreditation or to get a, 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 you know, a certification. I think they're worth it. Either one, it depends on where you are in life and in some cases, finances and other things. But I think you can go either route. But I do think going through a practice or a certification or something like that is worth it so that you are sure that you're aware of what's emergent. But mm-hmm. also the history and the evolution, and most importantly, and this is what my thought process is on education overall, is that you are connected to a network of people mm-hmm. in association people that are coming from different backgrounds and having conversations that can mm-hmm. give you lens to how the world thinks. And this is a global world that we're living in now. We're seeing now how how small the world really is, right, in this pandemic. And so I would urge you to go through a program like that at some point in your career, if it's not right after you graduate undergrad, at some point. And then also, if you have the opportunity within your organization, if you recall, I started out, my function was MBA recruiting. Mm -hmm. I leveraged the opportunity to build IND practices at that job to create a reputation and to give myself exposure for 20 something years building and pioneering by taking the projects, by raising my hand, by willing to have the conversation with leadership and presenting an issue at one point in time at Estelas. I was appointed to a council for the CEO just for saying if the actual call for action was, do you see a big issue? What's the issue? Write about it, tell us about it, and then we'll get back to you. And that's how I ended up counseling the CEO. At the time, there was no diversity officer at Acellus, and today there is. And I'm not going to say that that's all because of me, but I know the conversation started posing an issue. So I think also standing up being willing, and it might not be an official position for you, but show yourself as an ally, show yourself as a champion, and educate yourself through those processes.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, a comment and then a question. The comment is, I just completed uh, my certificate at Cornell a, a few weeks ago as well. So. Hey. Oh
3: my hey. <laughs> yeah,
2: that was great. And then uh, the question I have for you, I need you to educate me on something. So I usually say D&I, but I notice you say I&D. Why why do you switch around inclusion and diversity?
1: Mm -hmm. I think that is a preference of the practitioner. And to be fair, for AstraZeneca, we say I&D. As an independent practitioner, I actually say belonging, inclusion, diversity, equity, access, and social justice. Mm -hmm. I say it all. And that's usually shorthand to ideas. So if you ever see ideas, that's what that means. The reason I think for the ordering for me and some other practitioners is that that you don't have an inclusive workspace. You certainly probably don't have a diverse workspace because you're not open to that inclusive work environment. And that inclusion, really, even though you hear diversity of thought, it's really about inclusion when people say that. Mm -hmm. They're, They're more inclusive of the ways people think. For me, the reason why belonging is there, and I actually have one of my own t-shirts on so you guys can see, I belong here. The reason why I lean in on belonging is because if there's no sense of belonging, that you feel like you belong in the space that you're moving in and others feel that you belong, the organization feels like there's a reason for you being there, it's a non-starter. So I'm actually pushing the evolution or what we used to call just I and D or D and I to start with the B, you know, mm. um, because I think when you're willing to hear and when we get to the space where people see a person walk in with a title, knowing their title, they expect that they have the knowledge that backs that up versus seeing someone knowing what their title is and then running down in their mind the biases that they may have. Yeah, That's where we get to with belonging. And I think for me, if you open the door and you're willing, the arms are open, you can have more of a diverse conversation that is, that is, yes, about diversity of thought, but is about representation. But I think you have to create a space for somebody to say that they can actually show up there.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So fun question. I love asking every guest that we have on give us the top three apps that you use on your phone and you can't name email or calendar.
1: So is it email or calendar? Is that the question?
2: You can't name either one. Uh,
1: oh, of oh, 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 the apps. Yeah. Oh no, I have a two-year-old. So, <laughs> <laughs> so YouTube is a go-to because a lot of, especially a lot of learning platforms have moved to YouTube. So that's a go-to for me. Another app, I think for me, it's just Google. I mean, I'm always on Google. Who is? And then three for me is one I mentioned earlier, LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn, either educating or being educated, connecting or being connected. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And often, you know, our listeners and viewers like to stay in touch and and, uh, get in touch. Where can everyone find you?
1: You can certainly find me on, yes, LinkedIn. (laughs) <laughs> um, Dawn Christian, you'll know it's me because Randall will be, um, in, in quotation marks because that's my, my maiden name. But also I do independently practice. So I do have my own website, which is belongbydawnchristian.com. So that is the word belong com. We have a lot of fun things coming your way to continue to have conversations around the space of belonging. It's been an honor, you guys.
0: Excellent. Thanks. We've had a lot of fun. Well, thanks everyone for watching and listening again. You can find us everywhere that you find your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks.
1: Thank you.